My name is Anda Ginska, and this is Pros and Content. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Notch, a digital content intelligence platform. I'm a massive data nerd who's fallen in love with storytelling. And so on the Pros and Content podcast, we will be featuring a series of really incredible leaders who believe in storytelling and who have different perspectives on the importance, measurement, scalability, and optimization of storytelling. Today on Pros and Content, we present the seventh in our series of online roundtables. We've heard stories and guidance from leaders across every industry about their responses to COVID-19. In this episode, we ask our guests how their brand purposes stack up to real challenges and, looking towards the future, how they're going to define what they stand for. That means focusing on a lot more, the importance of collaboration, human understanding, and connecting around more than just daily work. Once again, hosted by Andaganska and Rachel Tipograph, this episode was recorded on April 30th, 2020. We hope you enjoy. This is it's round seven. Of the week. I know. So it's round seven, which means you and I have spent at a minimum 14 hours talking about COVID uh, just here with uh, thousands of people, which is pretty remarkable. And I'm really excited for today. Somehow we keep bringing together such an influential group of business leaders. It's pretty amazing. Uh, and, you know, seven weeks in, you know, folks always say it takes 21 days to form a habit. So here we are, and this is normal life. Um, but I know it's funny, you and I just had a really big debate in front of all the speakers on our view on the state of the world. I think yours is much more interesting than mine. But uh, as we all settle in, we've been speaking so much about leadership. You know, I thought I would share one of the things that happened at Micmac this week. You know, we made the decision that we're not going to reopen the office until September 1 because we just want to give employees certainty right now to make life decisions on where they want to spend the summer and, and how they want to work. And by doing that, we also introduced a bunch of new benefits on how we're going to be handling summer Fridays, how we're encouraging people to take vacation. We've introduced a new stipend so people can ensure that they have a really nice at-home office set up. Um, but I know you've been at the front lines analyzing what's happening from a state level and a medical level. So I want to hear what your predictions are over the next few weeks. Yeah, and just making sure, Rachel, can you hear me? Because um, I'm having some internet issues here in Long Island. I can hear you, but I cannot see you. Okay, that's fine. You don't have to see me. Um, hopefully you can see my, my Photoshop photo. It's probably a better presentation. I'll be back with my video as soon as I can. So, um, Rachel, yeah, I, I think this week for me was a really big turning point. Um, last week, I was wrapping my mind around what does it mean for us as a company to continue working the way we are right now? Um, we told the team on Friday that um, we expect to not necessarily go back to the office until at least October. And if we can go back before, we're going to make our office an optional workplace. But because we can be remote, we almost feel like we have a responsibility to be remote, uh, to not add to the wave uh, that's coming back uh, of people who actually really have to go back into the city. Um, and so that was, you know, we, I feel like everyone last week went through the normal stages of grief upon hearing the news. Um, and we're now settling into this new normal, as everyone is, is saying. But this week was a turning point because I feel like I got a lot of hope myself just from seeing what's happening in the market, obviously nothing 
definitive yet, but there's some really promising drug trials that are coming out. Obviously, the news about Gilead, I think, gave us all a little bit of hope yesterday. Um, and then also just seeing that states are thinking about reopening. We'll see again how that goes. People are still cautious, as they should be, but I feel like overall we're starting to at least feel a little bit of hope, even if we can't yet see the end of the crisis. Um, and so I'm very, very excited about that. Similarly, when you're looking at content trends, what we've seen is there's definitely a fatigue talking about COVID. Um, and it's funny, as I was you know, tweeting about the webinar, saying we're going to talk about how we're sick of talking about COVID. But you can definitely see that across the board in the content that's being created. There's less and less mentions of COVID in content. Uh, even though content production is by large increasing. Um, and so I think people are just really looking to hear more about life uh, today and how we can run that life better. But then also seeing a lot more stories of inspiration and hope and resilience. Um, how are different businesses and individuals getting through this time and how are different brands enabling them to do that? So that's my high level. I'm I'm feeling pretty good today. I think the world's going to keep going into a positive direction. Um, but, you know, I think I'm also uh, telling myself that in order to keep going. So there's a balance between the two. Uh, what are you seeing from an e-commerce standpoint? Yeah, well, I want you to keep telling both of us because your positive vibes help me. Uh, you know, from an e-commerce standpoint, you know, one of my favorite headlines uh, of last week was that we're now in the hair dyeing phase of e-commerce. And over the weekend, my father texted me a photo of him dyeing my mother's roots, which for me was a really big deal because I've grown up with a mother that dyes her hair every six weeks. Uh, so that will go on the family mantle. But in terms of this week, I would say the big shift is people are starting to do some major life planning when it comes to e-com. So on a, on a personal note, and you're gonna hear from her today, uh, Kimberly, the CMO of Mitsubishi, for the first time in my life, I'm ready to buy a car. And it's not just me, it's I feel an entire generation of millennials who never purchased a car before because we do understand that the day-to-day -day pattern of life is gonna change. From trends that I'm seeing across our clients, you know, the last seven weeks in categories like luxury and beauty, gotta be honest, it's been a little bit radio silence. We saw skincare and hair products take a rise. But this week we're beginning to see a shift where we're seeing consumers make some more ancillary purchases. And we think it's a form of entertainment, like introducing a new shirt into your wardrobe right now, or trying out the new cat eye mascara. Um, so that gives me a level of optimism for my clients that are in fashion and beauty right now. But by and large, I mean, man, online grocery, online liquor shopping is humming in a way that I just can, never thought was going to happen until the year 2025. Um, and so I think that behavior is absolutely here to stay. But I can't wait to hear from our guests. So for folks who are just listening for the first time, uh, we're gonna call on speakers, we're gonna interview them for 10 minutes. Please use the Q&A function. We're gonna pull questions from the audience and ask this esteemed group of uh, amazing speakers. So Anda, I think you are kicking it off for us with the first speaker. Yes, I am. Um, so I'm really excited to welcome our first speaker, Mo. Um, you're the CMO of AT&T Business. Welcome, welcome. I think you're dialing in from Dallas, right? I am. Thanks for having me. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a great pleasure to have you. Um, 
I know, uh, Mo, that you run all product management and marketing um, of, for, for more than 3.5 billion customers. Um, and in your previous role at the company, you were a senior vice president for advanced solutions um, and have really been with the company for a while. When we were talking, you told me that um, the chief product officer, the product marketing, pricing, and promotions all report into you. Um, and so I wanted to kick it off, actually, by asking you, um, what were some of the really big decisions that you had to make um, as you became aware that this crisis was real? And I also remembered in our conversation, you told me that you kind of had a little bit of a heads up that this was coming to the U.S. And so I'd love for you to share that story as well as the decisions that you made um, as soon as you started realizing this was real. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, to hit on that story that you referenced, you know, one of the things that we're quite fortunate in is that we are serving enterprises around the world. About, as you said, over 3 million customers from neighborhoods, small businesses, all the way up to some of the largest enterprises uh, on the planet. And, you know, what we saw was, you know, this is week seven in the U.S., but when you think about it globally, obviously it started in Asia quite a bit earlier. And we actually saw from our customers in Asia, in China, uh, and then a little bit later in Europe, and then finally in the U.S., the impacts that COVID was having on their geographic territories. So that actually gave us the ability to start reaching out to our customers to say, hey, this is what we're seeing in Asia right now. We're seeing significant numbers of employees are shifting to remote working. What does that mean? That means that companies need collaboration solutions. Are you thinking about if you're going to be sending your folks to work from home, how you're going to keep the business of your business moving forward? We're seeing that virtual private networks are going to need to be expanded, remote access capabilities. And um, hello and welcome back. I see you on video now. So it really gave us that opportunity to kind of get ahead of the curve, if you will, on helping um, businesses around America think through some initial planning, some initial capacity that they might need to expand in order to be ready. And then, of course, you know, about seven weeks ago is uh, when all of it really came to life. And we saw this just incredible exodus of people going home and an explosion of traffic across our network. And so at that point, it was, you know, first and foremost, make sure that the network um, was able to handle all of this traffic. And, you know, fantastic news is that went off without a hitch. Um, we invest months and quarters ahead of demand. So we're able to pick up this massive increase in the traffic that we saw, whether it was from home, Wi-Fi traffic, LTE traffic, our core backbone where mobility and consumer business traffic comes together. And then it really became um, about how do we surf? You know, what is our messaging during this time? What do we need to do? And we very quickly landed on, look, um, right now is about actions. It's not about ads. Uh, how are we going to demonstrate that we're here to serve, you know, all of our customers? And so it became about offers. We immediately signed up for what's called Keep America Connected with the FCC and a handful of other companies to make sure that, you know, whether it's small businesses or consumers that are impacted by COVID, don't worry about late payments, don't worry about being cut off, you've got other things you need to go um, be mindful of right now. And just a few days ago, we extended that Keep America Connected through the end of June. Then we really started thinking through, you know, offers, if you will. How can we bring services to people that truly need it? 
Um, and I know a lot of you are talking about buying cars for the first time. And, uh, you know, many of us around America, are, we're trying to figure out how do we keep working and suddenly become school teachers for the first time as our kids are coming home and, you know, education is moving into the, into, you know, uh, houses across the U.S. And over 50 million students have been displaced. And one of the things I was incredibly proud of is, you know, I'm, I'm highly mindful of the privilege that many of us have, that we have broadband, we have internet, we have mobility. And so our kids can keep learning um, even though they're home. And there's many kids that may not have that privilege. And we launched a free 60-day offer for any school around America to be able to activate new lines of service that they could use on existing tablets or hotspots or PCs that they may have where now they have internet connectivity and bridge those kids into the summer season so that they could keep learning. So it was really about serving, it was about actions. And then the messages that we brought to life around that is, you know, as production crews are shut down and uh, you can't go out and make commercials and obviously you're not gonna do a call to action, is how do we bring to life these incredible stories of serving, distance learning, first responders, healthcare professionals, small businesses, uh, just people and how they're going about their everyday lives and changing the cadence of their everyday lives. So those were the first few weeks. And you know, Anda, I loved what you said about, you know, these are messages of hope and optimism. You know, even though we're alone, we don't have to be isolated. It's, it's an incredible thing to be able to show how businesses and enterprises across America are, are leaning in to really be there um, for other businesses and, and for all Americans during this incredibly unique time. So Mo, when we talked, you shared a couple of stats with me that I thought were really interesting. You said 50% of kids in the U.S. have subsidized meals at school, yeah. which yeah. means that likely their Wi-Fi situation at home is not the one that we all assume for ourselves. And you also said that 76% of kids in D.C. are in this situation. Uh, it sounds like you're doing a lot to help on the educational front, but there's also so much that we need to now move online, whether it's telemedicine or you were talking about retail and this idea of using thermal sensors to auto-detect density inside of retail stores. I mean, there's just so many opportunities for a company like AT&T Business to help during this time. Um, as a result of that, do you find yourself leaning into more performance marketing and kind of a more transactional mindset or are you still thinking about let's just put stories out there of inspiration and hope this is not the time to to be transactional it's a great question so you know um and both you and rachel hit this at the beginning which is there's been this evolution at the beginning of this it was incredibly important to be out there with the stories of of how we're serving um, to the point that you just made all of these kids that are going home that we need to make sure that they're able to do distance learning um, just to quickly touch on two other examples you brought up because they're fascinating to me and indicative of how the world is going to change after the COVID winter. Um, and then and I'll talk about performance marketing a little bit. But the first one you brought up was health, right? And how is health changing? And, um, you know, right before this, I was uh, talking to CNET about healthcare and 5G and COVID. And it's clear that COVID is, is changing the face of healthcare forever. And um, I've got a five-year-old daughter. I'm frankly surprised she hasn't popped in yet to say hi. And um, I watched her do her first telehealth visit last week with her pediatrician. 
And it was really a moment of, you know, my wife, she was, you know, sick, weren't sure exactly what. My wife called um, her doctor and he said, look, we're not doing well visits. And unless you're clearly ill, we don't want you coming in. So they used a tablet, they used video. Um, he did the checkup, he prescribed her medicine. She drove through uh, a pickup lane at a local pharmacy, got the medicine and uh, away we went. And two and a half trillion dollars of stimulus money have recently been released with a material chunk of that going towards telehealth and remote patient monitoring. And the net is that historically, we have a healthcare system that really drives people to come in for visits to the doctor. And now um, there's questions on, you know, should we do that? Why would we do that? Um, if there's infectious diseases, how are we mindful of that and not spraying it, spreading it? You know, now COVID in the future, you know, whatever it might happen to be. And so this is the moment where telehealth is going to see a material acceleration both because of the new normal, too, because of the stimulus dollars that are being pumped into the economy. And um, it's one of those things I think all of us, you know, two years from now, will look back and think about how often we used to go see a doctor and why did we do that? And now we're doing it remote over collaboration solutions like this one and uh, being able to get our medicine. When you think about IoT and the ability to monitor patients no matter where they happen to be, connected toothbrushes are real. It's only a matter of time before as you're brushing your teeth in the morning, they're gonna tell you that you're sick and perhaps you shouldn't go to school or to work. And uh, it will make all of us healthier in a smarter way enabled by telecommunications. The other example you brought up was around retail. Where retail is incredibly challenged right now on um, how are they gonna convince all of us as Americans that it's the right time to come back. Um, I went to a do-it-yourself a hardware home improvement store recently. Um, and I was surprised by my own reaction of, you know, this odd suspicion of other human beings being within a few feet of me. And I was thinking about my own, you know, mental state. And I was like, that's really weird. I've never in my entire life have I not wanted to be around other human beings. And I was trying to noodle through how long it was going to take before I'd be okay, just kind of, you know, brushing up against other people. And um, we have a lot of retailers that are reaching out to us on how can we use IoT technology to help us with things like line queuing outside. Mm -hmm. Right now we're using humans and pieces of tape on the concrete to show people where they need to queue up. And then we're using our people uh, to count the number of people inside the stores and how far apart they are from one another. And you know, we need to elevate people into better roles than standing at the, the corner of every aisle uh, policing the situation. And the good news is, there's technology that can help. It can help us with things like social distancing, safety, um, limiting the spread of these diseases. You, you mentioned one, which is thermal imaging, um, using cameras um, with appropriate privacy to ensure that, hey, if you know, people are too close to one another, we can flag that and then someone can go uh, help those uh, folks. But then more importantly, it becomes part of their digital ecosystem. Hey, now my app tells me there's X number of people in queue. Now it looks like a good time for me to go to the grocery store. Um, it's a way of helping people understand, hey, I'm keeping you safer. Uh, so it's, you know, come, come visit with us. So technology will become a key differentiator, I think, for many companies um, in evidencing to their, their end customers, hey, trust us. And then when you think about that relative to performance marketing, you know, B2B has always been an interesting space 
in that you have to do a very precise job of getting in front of the decision maker. It's not 330 million Americans. You know, there's about 10 million businesses across America. And then within them, how do you ensure that you're getting your message to the right person, the right influencer? And so over the last two years, even before COVID, we've been on this journey of shifting away from the one-to-many type of messaging and advertising to systematically uh, and much more highly precise messaging to the right business decision makers um, through partnerships with a lot of in the leading industry technology companies. And I think COVID just accelerates that. And the final comment I'd make on that front is, you know, obviously events marketing, which is a huge part of B2B, um, has changed fundamentally and for the foreseeable future. So shifting to more things like this, virtual webinars and seminars, virtual events, is um, really helping us think through the efficacy of every dollar of our investment in the return. Great example of that was HIMSS uh, leading healthcare um, events in America was canceled and we were a, a keynote speaker there. We shifted that online in about four days and we ended up with 9x the reach and audience that we would have gotten being at the event by doing it virtually. So how do we learn from that, lead management from that, and then, then being able to circle back around with uh, some of these solutions that we're talking about? No, thank you so much for that. It's so inspiring to hear you talk about all these uh, ways that technology is evolving and helping us navigate this time. So uh, this is going to be fun because I feel like we're in a Jerry Seinfeld show. Kimberly. <laughs> I, <laughs> I love it. It's uh, what is it called? Comedian? No, coffee and cars with comedians. I forget yeah. what it is. Short. <laughs> <laughs> I've got no coffee. There's no comedy, but we'll see. <laughs> Um, I'm in a car. I'm in, I'm in one of our, uh, our Outlander plug-in hybrids. So I love it. Well, uh, Andre and I want to be in the car with you, so we're both going to interview you. Excellent. Uh, I love it. So for folks who don't know Kimberly Gardner, she is the CMO of Mitsubishi, and she is living the brand values. Um, and we're so excited to, to pick your brain because it really feels like your category is about to have a huge uh, moment with consumers in a way that maybe you weren't planning. Uh, yeah. So we want to pick your brain on a lot of this. So uh, you want to kick it off, Onda? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm curious, Kimberly, I know that in some ways, um, automakers were struggling both on the supply and the demand side over the last few weeks. Um, and then, you know, as for Rachel, I think more and more folks, I mean, I don't know if this is caused by me being in New York and you know, no one had a car in New York and now everyone wants to buy a car in New York. So hopefully you have good dealerships there. Um, but do you see this across the board? Do you, do you feel like there's a pent up desire to kind of have your own space? Um, I'm curious what you think that will mean for ride sharing just as a prediction. Mm. Uh, but then I'm also curious how you're thinking about that as a marketer during a time like this. And again, similar to what I was asking Mo, I find it so interesting to think about kind of brand and performance or brand versus performance, however you want to put it. But which ones are you leaning more into during a time like this? Yeah, um, awesome questions. And um, I think it's safe to say that almost, um, it feels like nothing will be the same, right? After we go through this whole experience, as, um, especially as marketers. But I think as, as brands, especially in the automotive space, um, we're seeing a lot of change. I think no, no one would have predicted that if we were on a trajectory of more autonomous driving, ride sharing, people delaying, getting driver's licenses, you know, the personal car is something that has changed so much in so many communities, especially urban centers, right, like San Francisco and New York. 
um, and, and, and skip to today. And um, we hear a lot more people saying exactly what you said, Anda, which is really reevaluating, right? Like what a car means to them. And so many people in social are talking about hadn't thought about getting a car or haven't had a car for a long time. And now I wish I had one because it's kind of a nice space, much like I'm in now where you can, you can literally be safe. You can, you know, get away from things. You can take a call. It's, um, it's really fascinating to see the changes in how people are interacting with cars. And I, I think this is really going to be a, a C note change in our industry for, you know, really how we appeal to consumers. And that's across the board, by the way, we're seeing that with, with younger folks, older folks, men, women, uh, people that before all this would never have even thought about buying a car um, in a digital way. Um, and we're starting to see that obvious, for obvious reasons. Um, and we're, we're seeing a lot of adaptation happen. Um, you mentioned supply chain, manufacturing, like in every angle, I think in every aspect of the business. So um, that's mean we've had to pivot. We're a small brand in a big sea of a lot of brands. And so um, it's easier for us because we're very digitally focused. So we were able to really pivot very early um, and be, I think, much more, I wouldn't say necessarily a tie between performance marketing and more branding, but really trying to figure out by signals that people have in the marketplace, like, where are they? What do they need? What are they looking for? And how do we be relevant? Some people need a car right now and a 90-day deferred payment message, perfect. Some people, nope, I'm not even in that zone right now. But you know what? I have a vehicle and I didn't, I didn't even think about maybe using it as a way to join a caravan of people driving around my neighborhood and celebrating by honking for heroes, right? Essential workers at seven o'clock at night. And it just, it, it kind of brings about a different spirit that we have, so. Yeah. From a creative and messaging standpoint, how direct are you about acknowledging what's happening in the world? Meaning you're seeing some brands literally update their advertising with people wearing masks. Yeah, and again, because of our category being a bit different, um, you know, that, that people are using their cars as a, as a respite and as a safe place to be, if you will, because uh, social distancing, I think it's some categories have had to go there first. Um, I think for us, it's really been more for our dealers and adaptation of, of how they talk about safety and their retail outlets and their stores. Mm -hmm. Feel comfortable um, if you're able to come into a dealership and you're actually open. Um, some of them weren't, many of them still aren't, by the way, they're still not able to be fully operational. So our advertising has really had to be, I think, twofold. One is a, is a broad message about safety and assurance and confidence, right? When you're ready, we're here. Um, and the other one is if you need us, then how do we make sure you know a dealership that you can go to and reach out to that dealership in a contactless service way or contactless sales, sorry, and contactless service. And we um, are doing things like setting up a call center, which we did several weeks ago with our dealers so we can... Um, for dealers that are closed, it's like a BDC basically. So uh, the customer doesn't get in touch with, or doesn't uh, respond it back to within an hour. Then the call center reaches out, you know, hey, we noticed that you're interested. How can we help you? Mm -hmm. So some of those things too, just because it's still all over the place across the country. Mm -hmm. um, from a media and market standpoint, are, did you shift your approach when it came to channels? Uh, yeah, I, I think like a lot of other marketers, we had to reevaluate fairly quickly. I think that um, because again, automotive is a very thought through category. It's not something that you jump right into. You take your time and it just didn't seem, didn't seem right to try to capitalize on any kind of activity out there in maybe a way that wasn't sensitive to the situation. So we paired back. We really just covered the basics in terms of search, to be honest, mm -hmm. a little bit of social. 
um, a lot of CRM messaging and, and, and areas where we could see where people were in that purchase kind of journey. What are they asking for? What are they looking for versus just outbound messages and display mm -hmm. and um, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Google. Kimberly, I wanted to ask you, sorry, I wanted to ask you something that um, I see the audience is also really interested in. Um, one of the folks in the audience said with the reopening and recovery happening on a local and state-by-state -state basis, how, how do you see your marketing adapting to align with the rolling economic recovery? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, one of the big uh, focus points we've had since this thing started is really resources for our dealers. Um, and we did that kind of threefold. Are you fully operational? Are you partially operational? Or are you not operational at all? Um, and those three can be very flexible, right? We've got templates, we have assets, we have messages, things that we haven't really done in the past, except for maybe uh, car launches. We're really treating this as a way for them to, um, to help to have us help them um, to meet them where they're at. So if you're operational, here's some messaging. If you're not, here's some messaging. Service is still some things people need. Essential workers need to have their car serviced, especially if they're you know, out on the road, um, racking up miles and they need to come in, then we want to make sure that they feel like they can go, they can come in when they need to. Um, and so a lot of that was just how to, again, how to, how to help dealers and, and kind of re-educate their brains. Don't push people to come in um, if they're not ready. Wait and see and, and understand where they're at and try to meet them where they are. Keep safety, obviously, top of mind. So, um, I mean, those are great, great um, ten poles to anchor your team around and your messaging. You know, one of the things that uh, I imagine is going on, your headquarters is in Japan. So yeah, corporate headquarters, yeah, in the U.S. Yeah. and Nashville. So when it comes to what you're seeing in the eastern part of the world, do you feel it's transferable from the consumer behavior and messaging that's potentially worked in market there to here? Yeah. You know, it's, it's so interesting. That it, it's, uh, the car is such a personal um, choice in terms of, you know, need states and life stages and things like that. There are nuances of the U.S. market that are very different. Um, and it, it varies. I've seen, uh, you know, working for Asian brands in the past and pretty much my whole career, uh, it's very different there than it is here in terms of what people are responding to. And it tends to be a bit more emotional as well as rational here. Um, not surprisingly, right? U.S. consumers just have a different mindset. So um, we're trying to take some learnings and we're trying to share learnings across markets with Europe, right? Um, other parts of North America and obviously Asia to see where there is some cross-pollination. Um, I think the best we can do is just create resources that are adaptable to share mm -hmm. with others. And from how you guys are managing your employees through this, are you taking directive from Japan or in the U.S., are you making decisions at a local level? Definitely making decisions at a local level because the, the environment is, is different and we were at different phases of the, of, the, of the crisis, if you will, and how we're managing that. So um, we've been doing that here um, in our Nashville headquarters. And it's been, um, it's been really week by week um, within that environment and within Nashville, um, trying to figure out what's the right way to make everybody comfortable and exactly what the others have said. Meet them where they're at. Ask, ask your employees, you know, what's, uh, what's your comfort level? What's your situation? If you've got young kids at home, um, what's going to work for you? We're still, we're still playing it by ear week by week. Um, and then we've got offices around the country, and it's really based on the local situations there. Just the main thing is making sure people feel like this is really about being flexible. 
you know, and the automotive industry hasn't necessarily had to go there before, but mm-hmm. I think that this is a good thing for us. I think being flexible with employees is something that, um, that everybody needs to do. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So Kimberly, thank you so much. I want us all to go into Q&A mode now, uh, which means we're going to get to hear from everyone who's on the line right now. So I'm going to quickly introduce everyone who hasn't already introduced themselves. So we have Jennifer from City. Welcome, Jennifer. <clears throat> we have Beth Ann from Geometry. Um, we have Ben from Tata Consulting. And we have Margaret from Siegel and Gale. Everyone else you've already met. Um, so before we jump into the first question, I wanted the Notch team to pull up the uh, poll that we're doing today, which I'd love for all of you to quickly answer. I'm going to do the same myself. So uh, we, we're measuring so much content, some COVID content, some non-COVID content, and the same um, is true across all industries that we work with, telco, um, health, pharma, consulting, technology, financial, et cetera, that um, the behavior has completely shifted to desktop. But what's interesting is that a lot of the content creation is happening on mobile now. Um, And Mo, I know that in our prep call, we talked a bit about this raw content that um, all brands are are forced to push out nowadays, right? Um, How have you thought about pivoting your content production to really quickly be able to create stuff that people can engage with? And how are you dealing with the fact that you're often creating it on mobile, but now people are consuming most of this content on desktop? Well, for us, uh, and you nailed it, what do you do? Oh, sorry, I was just making sure I was off mute. What do you do when all of your production facility folks have gone home? Um, you know, we're very fortunate to have about a quarter million employees, and, you know, about 100,000 of them are frontline. They're out there, our everyday heroes supporting our customers. And so we just asked everyone, film things, send in photos, and then we've used that heavily as part of the messages that we've been uh, bringing to market over the course of the last five, six weeks, you know, again, whether that was around how we're supporting first responders, how we're helping uh, healthcare facilities stand up new triage centers, like in one day, the stories are incredibly compelling and moving without actually having to have a call to action associated with them. You can show the efficacy of your solutions. And then as you think about moving forward, you know, it, it really becomes a question of, you don't have to talk about COVID. You can just talk about how technology is going to be used in a new way that resonates with everybody's new lives, how they're living. And, um, you know, I, I expect that that will be the new normal for the next X number of months. And then uh, I think we're all trying to figure out what the fall looks like. And as we get closer to that, you know, you make decisions. The beautiful thing is you can create content very, very quickly right now. Yeah. And I'm sure that a lot of this raw content in many ways uh, manages to pull out the heartstrings a lot better. Um, I wanted to just take another quick one from the audience before we move on. And I know that this is something that um, City cares a lot about. So um, the question was directed at Mo initially around um, how uh, AT&T was able to get 9X from your virtual participation in the HIMSS conference. But I think the, the question more largely addresses what happens with virtual events. Do they really work better than in-person events? And I know, Jennifer, that um, obviously City has a massive investment on on the live event front. So I'm curious, how are you thinking about moving that onto the virtual side of things? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, 
you know, we've, we've always, um, we do thousands of events a year or did thousands of events a year, like 15,000 um, globally. Um, and we have a very large entertainment access platform that has been very powerful for our brand. Um, and this is a new, this is a new situation. Obviously, um, their live events aren't happening. It's impacting most of the people that are on this, um, this session today. Um, and we've always um, had this concept or notion around access beyond attendance. So we were always coming up with some type of virtual element um, and component to everything that we were doing on the live side, but we've really had to amplify that now. We are literally negotiating and renegotiating every single partnership we have to have some type of virtual element to it. So it's really important. and. And we're seeing um, it's working. And some of those partnerships are bigger than others. Um, we just participated with Global Citizen in their um, One World Together at Home program. And if you look at the response to that event alone, 45% of people viewing television on that Saturday two weeks ago were watching that event. So I think it's become really powerful and it's super important right now um, to create some type of content that's entertaining. Agreed. Um, well, thank you so much. I wanted to move on to our next panelist, and then we'll go back into our grid mode after um, maybe the next two. So next up, we have Ben from Tata Consulting. Welcome, Ben. Hello. Thank you for having me. Um, I didn't get a chance to do a briefing call with you, so I asked um, my team to give me uh, some spark notes on you and here's what I got because I thought this was really funny um, So you talked to someone on my team whose name is Ben and he's British uh, So he wrote to me um, Things about Ben number one. He's English number two very down-to-earth cool guy number three based in New York So That was a great <laughs> introduction. So welcome. <laughs> I'm happy that you met my Ben who's also English He obviously appreciates the fact that you're English, Absolutely. but I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about um, what do you do at Tata? I know that your role has evolved over the last few years. Um, just curious to hear a little bit about that before I jump into my questions. Sure. Um, well, at a high level, uh, Tata Consultancy Services, we're one of the largest IT services consulting firms in the world. We're headquartered in India. We're the largest company in India, 450,000 employees. Uh, but our biggest market is North America. 54% of our revenue sits here. So uh, I joined them seven years ago as head of corporate communications for North America. Uh, two years ago, became chief communications officer globally. And uh, five months ago, I took on marketing across North America as well. So it keeps me busy. And COVID yeah, has kept sounds like a lot. <laughs> yes. And um, yeah, COVID's been an interesting one for us. Uh, you know, first off, ensuring the safety of 450,000 employees and moving 90% within three weeks to work from home status. And given that we're offering IT services, empowering mission critical industries from uh, banking financial services, so they can, of course, uh, handle people's finances, pay people, right, from a payroll perspective to healthcare, life sciences. Um, it, it, it was quite a task. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's given us a lot to reflect on. And the biggest takeaway for us in all of this, safety number one. Number two, of course, ensuring our clients have business continuity. Um, three, making sure our employees stay motivated when they're stuck in, at home, they're isolated. 
as you've all said, in different life stages and circumstances. Um, so we, we've gone out of our way to keep everyone highly motivated. Um, but the biggest takeaway for us, um, with all of our employees sitting in offices around the world, um, we've realized, boy, this only accelerates our decision to change our business model. We have a 25 by 25 vision already lined up, which essentially says we only need 25% of our employees around the world to actually be in an office at any given time. And even then, only 25% of their time. We don't want more than 25% of people in any team being in the same location. It's all about location independence and agility to do our jobs. So um, we, we've already made that pledge that we're going to shift most of our workforce to work from home in the next five years. I like that. I think it's a very responsible pledge. And, you know, in, my, in our smaller ways at Notch, we're trying to follow it. Um, on the topic of hope, um, it sounds like the TCS Innovation Lab have been working on, uh, you know, I don't know if, if the word cure for COVID is a little bit too bold, but it sounds like you're really working on some very interesting uh, discoveries. And I'd love for you to just uh, maybe share whatever you can about the hopeful stuff that you're seeing come out of that. Sure. Um, I, will do, I will try to do it justice, not being uh, a biologist here. Um, our life sciences division. So we represent uh, a mo uh, most of the large pharmaceutical life sciences firms across the US, for example, and globally. And we have innovation labs that focus specifically on dr uh, drug discovery. So when this all kicked into gear, some of our um, analysts in Hyderabad and Pune in India immediately got um, cracking and using uh, heavy data science, machine learning, uh, and artificial intelligence algorithms, they were able to identify in three days 31 molecules that can attack the very proteins in COVID-19 that caused the virus to replicate. Um, and so this notion is uh, that there's a strong chance one of these 31 molecules could be a cure. Now, I don't want that to sound too grand. This may not work. But the whole point is it could, it could significantly increase the speed at which uh, drug discovery and, and uh, vaccines occur moving forward using the power of uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence. So we've already submitted that. We're working with the World Economic Forum, with the World Health Organization to see if we can bring this to life in short order. So uh, fingers crossed. That's very hopeful. So thank you for sharing that. Um, so turning, uh, put, putting on the marketing and comms hat, um, sure. I'm curious about how you've thought about your role during this time. Um, I think similarly to Mo, what you do now is, is probably more relevant than ever before. Um, and I'm curious how you've decided to show up and be there for your customers. Um, do you think that this is the time to be more transactional and performance driven or have you really just led with your actions and, and uh, maybe with some lighter instruments for storytelling? Sure. Well, I can take that in two, two parts, I suppose. One on behalf of our customers and then internally at TCS. So with our customers, our job is to power their businesses to serve their customers. So we're a B2B company, but our customers are across all industries serving their uh, consumer-facing customers. So uh, it was really important for us to make sure we could, in an agile fashion, um, unemployment uh, insurance systems for many states across America uh, that they, they remain intact and can get those checks to people in need within two days. 
uh, like I've mentioned, banking, financial services, deferment of payments, all of the back-end machinery and how that works, um, working very closely with all the healthcare providers, uh, a critical need. Um, we also work with a lot of our customers to shift their business models technically so they could uh, manufacture now um, masks, ventilators. I know that there's now a debate about uh, you know, ventilators, but all of the necessary equipment, we've worked with a lot of customers to shift business models and how does technology power uh, their ability to do that quickly. Um, so there was a lot of hope in terms of progress there. Um, but from a storytelling perspective, uh, I've been really fired up by what we've done internally. Um, just, we're a tech company. Uh, we're not selling, uh, you know, drinks, or sneakers, etc. Um, so some people may feel technology is dry. Um, I've been amazed at the employees coming together. We decided we're, we have 450,000 employees. So we quickly created entertainment channels internally, for example, to um, get celebrity chefs, astronauts who have experienced what it's like to actually be uh, isolated in space. How do you cope? How do you identify stress levels among team members? And how do you reach uh, out a, a lending hand? And um, we've offered counseling services, uh, parental advice, activities for kids. And we've also loved employees who have stepped forward. We have people who are technologists, but have now volunteered to be ambulance drivers. They volunteered to make uh, masks uh, with 3D printers in every waking hour they have outside of work. So we've been very inspired through our internal storytelling mechanisms. Um, and in turn, we're seeing a lot of media around America uh, clamoring to tell these stories because several of you have said we're hitting COVID fatigue and the daily uptick in infections uh, and health conditions. So I think the media are really looking for those positive stories, rays of light, and they can really kind of shine a light on these individuals who are also making a difference. Thank you. That's really great to hear. Um, I'm always happy to hear about the power of storytelling, obviously. Yeah. Um, ben, thank you. We're going to keep asking you questions. I see a lot of them piling up in the Q&A box. Um, I wanted to move on to our next speaker. Thank you. Um, yeah, thank you so much, Ben. Um, we're actually going to go to Jennifer from Study first. Um, I know we, Linda just joined us from GE. Hi, Linda. Welcome as well. So we're going to start with Jennifer. Hi, Jennifer. How are you? Can you hear us? How are you? Good. Um, excited to finally talk. Um, I know we had a brief conversation before the webinar about all the really interesting ideas that you're working on. But one of the things that I found most interesting about what you said um, dealt with the, the footprint of city, uh, the offline footprint of city. Um, and I would love for you to share with the audience as we kick off uh, something that you thought was a weakness and now is turning out to be a strength. Yeah, no, I, I don't know if we thought it was a weakness. I think um, no one could have anticipated, obviously, what we're seeing now. Um, and City several years ago, made um, an intentional move to have be less physical. Um, and more digital. Um, so what that means is we reduce the number of branches or bank branches that we have um, and moved a lot of our banking to um, digital um, platforms. And so obviously that's helping us today. Um, again, there's still work to do and we have other things that we have to move to digital, but 
it's just interesting that now it's full circle where, you know, some, some folks in our space actually ramped up the number of physical um, spaces that they had. Um, we went in a different direction and really were focused on digital. So I think we have, um, we're in a good position right now to continue amplifying that and expanding what we had started out building. Um, as you think about people banking completely online, like I was just say saying this to somebody, my parents who can't do anything online, we tried to do a Zoom for my dad's birthday that didn't work. Um, my mom just called me two days ago and said um, she spent like an hour um, trying to figure everything out and that now they can do all their banking digitally. Um, so I think the, what I, the point of that story is I think you're seeing people um, being pressed to have to do it online. So they're having to use digital channels to do their banking now where before they would go into a physical branch. So I think that this um, kind of new environment is forcing a different type of behavior and I think it'll stay that way. Well, I, what's interesting is I was talking to Rachel about this as well, that I think um, our, our parents and grandparents um, are the ones who are actually some, some, you know, behind some of these spikes that we're seeing in online grocery shopping and online banking and so on. And it's been a while since that was like the hottest audience that any tech company wanted to go after. So I'm really happy to hear that. Um, when, when we talked, we, you said something interesting around how uh, the fact that it's kind of all digital now is, is putting you at an advantage because your direction was digital to begin with, but also leveling the playing field is in many ways um, and making marketing even more important. So I wanted to ask you, um, you know, we, we talked a little bit about the, the virtual event side of things, but wanted to ask you, as this crisis hit, um, what were some of your big decisions? What did you decide to, uh, what did you decide to invest in? Um, what did you decide to, uh, to not focus as much on going forward? You know, I, I don't think, I don't think we're doing a, a lot less of anything. I think it changed um, what we were doing. Um, so, for example, you, the question came up about um, are, are brands pulling out of all advertising? Are they going completely dark? And um, for City, that's not the case. It's just that our strategy prior to this was a lot of our advertising, a lot of our communications and our content was about our products and services and selling products and services. We've had to shift that completely and go to being helpful and not selling. And so it's really a shift in direction. It's, um, I don't think we're doing less of anything, um, but we're doing it differently. And I think that's probably the case for a lot of marketers. What we are doing more of, and you alluded to it, is this whole notion of virtual. And, and not just on the entertainment side, which we talked about, but also this whole notion of advice and financial education and wellness and how can we be more helpful? And people are craving it. Um, we're seeing a high percentage of people that are saying not only are brands being helpful in the recovery, but banks in particular, we're seeing that spike with people just craving any kind of financial help, uh, any kind of advice. Um, in our team in Mexico is doing amazing things with hacks and experts and podcasts and just all new forms of content that we didn't do before. So I don't think we're doing um, less of anything. I think we're just shifting the way we're doing things. It's interesting to hear that you're doubling down on content, doubling down on being helpful. 
um, and on brand, but not really pulling back on a lot of the media spend. That's very, that's hopeful, uh, keeping in the theme that I've been trying to create for the conversation. <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, just switching gears a little bit, something that I, I loved uh, on our call, I asked you, how are you thinking about keeping your team uh, motivated and energized? And you mentioned this idea of work blocks. I would love for you to tell us what those are and how your team has been using them. Well, first off, my team is absolutely incredible. And you see the strength of a team when you go through something like this. And I've always thought they always operated as a family. And now I'm convinced they are a family. Um, they have come up with so many creative ways to stay connected, to stay energized, and to help each other through this and lean on one another. And one of those, um, one of many, is this uh, program called a learning block. So each week, and they're on week seven right now, they send out at the beginning of the week a prompt to, to the whole team, and it's really, that's what the learning block that week will be about. This week, it happens to be about um, conceive up to five um, businesses that will be new as a result of COVID-19 and tell us what those products and services are, what the audience looks like, and um, how will you make money from that. Um, so it's, it's really fun to see them do this. They break out into groups and then they come back and then they, at the end of the week on Friday, they do a big share out. But they've had topics um, each week from uh, what's the best advice you ever have to the most, um, the biggest form of gratitude you've seen in a week. So it's just, it's a really neat way. And I think it's, um, hopefully others can adopt it because it's been watching their energy and the way they come together and work on this is really special. Uh, we will definitely adopt it at Notch. So if anyone at Notch is listening, it's coming your way. Um, the final question I have, uh, Jennifer, we talked a bit about how uh, we all feel like we're over certain words. Uh, COVID probably is the biggest one. Um, to some extent, even the word hero, um, you know, thanks, thanks here, thanks there, et cetera, in these troubled times. Um, how are you thinking about repositioning Spitty's brand um, as, you, as, as we enter this new normal? Maybe the, the new normal is also words that we don't want to hear anymore. But anyway, how are you thinking about repositioning Spitty going forward? Well, I think um, right out of the gate, um, we aligned on four principles for City. One, keep our employees safe. Obviously, they're frontline employees. They're, um, they're out there every day. As an essential business, we are open. Um, number two is really taking care of our customers and making sure that we're coming up with the relief solutions that they need. Um, third was about being part of the actual solution. So we've done a lot of work there, helping communities and other and then lastly was, what does this look like in the future? Um, so plan for the future. And so as a result of that, um, and it seems strange right now to be talking like that, but um, it's so necessary. Um, how do we look on the other end of this? What do, how do we show up? Um, what are the products and services that we have? Are they different? Are they new? Um, what's our tone? What channels are we in? So we're rethinking all of that, and luckily for me, um, and one of the great things about this situation has been the collaboration that you see in these large organizations. So fortunately for me, um, I have a, a partner at City, Carla Hassan, our chief brand officer. Um, Carla and I have uh, teamed up on an effort um, called Project New Day, and that's really what, what this will look like at the other end of it. And I'll tell you, um, if for those um, that might be thinking that way, the energy from our employees when we talk about, now we get to talk about hope, we get to talk about what this looks like on the other end. 
people get so excited to work, work on this. So it's just, you know, it's the reality for all of us is we have to um, think about and get ahead of what happens next. I love that. And I love the title, New Day, Project New Day. Um, it's a good one. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer. Uh, here we go. The really interesting results because the poll that we did, um, I think it was maybe two or three webinars. Like I can't even remember, but we were asking, you know, are you expecting your um, content production to increase? And the answers across the board were yes by more than 2x. And so now we're thinking we're probably going to stay at the same level. Um, so that's really interesting. So I'm curious, actually, just as we continue being in grid view, anyone else have a perspective on uh, H2 planning? Do you think it's going to be, um, you know, even more conservative than H1? Or do you think brands are going to start coming out and having more things to say? I'll just jump in real quick, um, and then I've got to wrap Please. up. Uh, because we have a lot of inventory in our pipeline, um, I think we're we're definitely looking at the second half as being um, an increase for us. Obviously, that'll depend on the situation, right? It's it's so hard to see more than a few weeks in, in into the future right now, but I think that's definitely going to be our plan. And and but at a hyper local level, hmm. I'll take one car. But, okay, sorry, I was going to jump in quickly and just say. Um, from our perspective, um, a lot of companies need to focus in the short term as we, God willing, come out of this um, to, to make their products and services as consumer friendly as possible. And I think certain consumer mindsets, services, products they may have used in the past, maybe don't seem as important now as they used to. Brand loyalty, has that shifted? Uh, but also the confidence to use these products. I mean, you look at the airline industry as one example. What will it take to get consumers to get back on planes? And we, I think we've all read, uh, you know, our, uh, these stories of middle seats. Do they no longer exist in terms of capacity? Um, is it, will there be additional screening to get into movie theaters to fly where people say, okay, now I trust others are also healthy and I won't get ill as a result. So I think consumer confidence and consumer product friendliness is key. That makes sense. Well, Rachel, I'm going to pass it over to you again because I know we have an exciting new panelist coming up. Yeah, Marissa Thalberg in the house, the CMO of Lowe's. Marissa, how are you? I'm great. It's so good to see you, Ananda, and everyone. Hi. Uh, and you're in California right now, right? I am. I am. I have not moved yet. <laughs> yeah, this has definitely delayed your cross-country move. I would say this has definitely not been quite the typical onboarding assimilation process to a big new job in industry, but you know, you roll with it, right? So you're, are you two or three months in? Uh, I feel like like everyone, I've lost all track of time. Let's see, I guess I'm about two and a half months in. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, two, home, two is, home improvement is probably more relevant than ever before. So, as a company, has Lowe's taken a stance on, on coronavirus and, and publicly spoken about it? Well, I think, uh, first of all, I just have to say, stepping back to what I wound up walking into, it has hit me in a very profound way that, you know, I went from luxury beauty to QSR, Taco Bell, to big box retail home improvement and chose this company. And then at the very moment of joining, really, um, it's at this moment 
in the world and in our collective history where we've all been asked to stay home and home just has taken on all this like super mm-hmm. profound meaning practically and emotionally. Um, and so in many ways that has absolutely forced a complete acceleration of of changing everything, as many people have been, of course, doing in their respective roles. But in my case, you know, no chance to really suss it out, you know, do things in a a very sort of methodical way, but rather just kind of get in there and make sure that um, we're really considering what it means to show up for people right now, how to temper, um, letting people know that we're open and we're there for them as an essential retailer, but not look exploitive of that fact. And and how to really use as an opportunity to reflect on who we are and frankly, what I've realized who Lowe's has always been as a company. And I think that's been one of the more uh, compelling realizations I've had since joining is, you know, you you look at these 300,000 associates are showing up and, you know, a lot of people and companies have risen to this occasion of crisis in really remarkable ways. But I thought it was interesting to kind of contextualize the way we've been showing up as really no different than how we show up for people in their homes and communities when a hurricane or a tornado blasts through. And that's what, that was really, I think, an important realization for me is that's, that's the culture and, and the ethos is our employees are amazing on a daily basis, but, and they really shine in a crisis. And, and that's what we're doing now. And I think that made it feel a little bit more legitimate to tell that story than just risk feeling like we jumped on a bandwagon. Yeah, that's funny. I just, I actually just saw your logo in a different light, like through mm-hmm. sort of a medical first responders lens when, mm-hmm. when you said that. Um, in terms of, you said messaging and not being exploitive. I mean, Lowe's has been a major national advertiser. I mean, multi-channels. So have you changed your marketing plans that- Oh yeah. Can you, can you talk more about that? Yeah, yeah, I can because I think it's, it's evident. So I don't feel like I'm disclosing anything that if you didn't put it together, you can kind of see from our marketing is, uh, and you know, Linda was referencing some of these group demo calls. <clears throat> and I have to say just, what I find so wonderful is community of peers that we have, that this has been a time where, you know, you really seek that sense of, of camaraderie and insight from fellow executives and, and you know, and both, right? It is a bit of camaraderie, commiseration on a personal and professional level. And so a bunch of us were talking and I realized, gosh, am I doing this right? As I, I've walked into the role, because, you know, the first thing was to really triage all the messaging we had out there and just really scrub it for anything that that two weeks ago, two weeks before rather would have been fine. Two weeks later suddenly would have been toned up. And this is back in, you know, March. How long ago does March now seem? Um, and then right, it's just ridiculous. And then and then we started progressively saying, okay, well, you know, how do we tell a story a little bit more on a brand level? And I heard you make a comment earlier. Actually, I think Anda did like the messages, like it was just sort of happening in real time where you you'd come up with this idea of wanting to say together we can do something. And then you watch TV and you're like, oh my God, everyone's saying that it's going to be so quickly. <laughs> right? It quickly goes from like a beautiful idea to feeling really insipid, um, you know, there's like a poem on Twitter someone wrote that's gone viral of all the, you know, um, in these uncertain times. So it's been tough because what I realized is we're all operating in a fairly small box. Everyone, from a production standpoint, you can't go out and really shoot. So everyone's 
I mean, I think it's actually been a really interesting creative challenge. How do you tell a story without all of those usual production resources? Um, but how do you do it in a way that um, allows you to be heard and allows you to connect on, you know, a, a level of that expresses the humanity of the brand and the business? Because we know, I mean, Richard Edelman does a great job of talking about how businesses are the new sources of trust when we have diminished trust and, and faith in government leaders. And that's not a politicized statement. It's just a sort of general finding in our culture. So um, how do we how do we show up? And I felt like it was our job to show up and be present and to use our media that way, but to make sure we were doing it in a way that was relevant. Um, and so that's that's what the messaging has had a profound shift in that regard from very promotional retail marketing to much more uh, allowing us to tell a brand story. And I think we're going to look back and I hope we'll be really grateful that we were able to pivot that way and that it might be a bit of a new normal that that balances in with some of the more traditional retail messages and tactics as, as things progressively get back to, you know, a more reopened economy. Um, from a content production standpoint, because I'm hearing of some brands doing this, are you using your employees in store to create content right now? No, we haven't been. Um, and I'll tell you, considering the tremendous load on our, mm -hmm. our we call them our, our store associates, they wear, mm -hmm. you recognize them from their red vests. I mean, uh, I will say we have featured them mm -hmm. in a way that, again, like, you know, we didn't want to be another one just saying thank you to our employees. It really, um, particularly as it came to this media moment that we secured with the NFL draft, which turned out to be a pretty big moment uh, in culture because, right, the first big live sports event, if you will, that was done virtually. And, um, and that just became a moment to sort of connect to that idea that all these players are finding out their new home team and that they, we have this big home team. And so I, I was really pleased with the integration we did where we had some of these top draft picks you know, right before they're finding out probably the most defining news of their lives, take the time to call some of the store associates in their local town, like their local Lowe's, and just thank them for what they've been doing to help people. And I just think that was a way to really, um, you know, express our appreciation in more than just words to our associates and, and, and let them see themselves in the messaging and let them know that we realize how much they power the brand as well as the business. So. In that sense, yes, Rachel, but in terms of asking them to do anything, no. Yeah, no, I, I thought that was a really nice uh, integration that you did. Um, selfishly, I want to pick your brain around customer journey and what people are buying right now, if you're seeing changes in buying behavior. Yeah, I was talking to um, a peer who, well, the CMO of Target, I guess it's fair to say, um, and we were comparing how like, maybe it's gotten a little less uh, moment to moment now. It's, it's you know, the, the, the curve of change of consumer demand isn't as frantically changing. But in the beginning, like he was saying, it went from, you know, we all had this trajectory. First, it was cleaning supplies. Then it, for him, it went to like canned goods. And then the minute, the, I thought this was interesting, the, the mask and out, like everyone should wear a mask. Suddenly, they had a, a run on scarves. So you're just thinking mm -hmm. that, but like, and so in our business too, I think it's been really interesting because it does give you a little bit of, of a sense of the overall zeitgeist and cultures. Of course, we had a run on cleaning supplies. Um, 
for a while. Remember when the toilet paper shortage suddenly bidets? Yeah. <laughs> we couldn't keep bidets yeah. in stock. And I don't think they were a top trending, uh, you know, search uh -huh. term for a product for us before that. And now it's moved to a little bit of a combination of things that are, you know, what I would say, COVID related, you know, keep my home clean and safe. And then also things that really are seasonal. And I think reflect the fact that people are home and now they perhaps even have more time and, and, and more of an outlet to work on their backyard, to work on their lawn, to paint a wall. So, um, you know, it's interesting what makes something essential. We, we know we're open because two thirds of what we sell is non-discretionary. If you have your hot water heater break, you need to fix that to run a safe and healthy home. But, but there is this other side of what we do, which is enabling people, I think right now more than ever to have the physical outlet and mental health benefit of getting to do something constructive mm -hmm. with their homes when they're stuck at home and that we enable this do-it-yourself DIY culture is something, you know, I really appreciate about this business. And in terms of the relationship between e-commerce and in-store right now, what dynamic are you seeing? Yeah, um, well, we've certainly, like many, seen a spike in e-commerce. Mm -hmm. So, um, and I think what's interesting is if you look at, uh, someone shared this stat with me, if you looked at China after, was it SARS or, yeah, um, that that moment for them was when e-commerce mm -hmm. really sort of hit another level. And I think we're already societally pretty mature in terms of online commerce, but I, I think some of the behaviors that the, maybe the non-adopters have now even adopted, like that's just gonna stick. So we recognize that we're gonna continue to improve and innovate and enhance what we have from an omni-channel standpoint. But at the same time, uh, because we've been open, people are absolutely coming to the stores too. And so we've just, had to be on, you know, at the forefront with other essential retailers on constantly iterating what safety protocols and what additional measures do you take? And no, no one had this all right from the beginning. So, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, and sometimes you have some people, well, I saw someone standing next to each other, but you know, there needs to be a little forbearance that we're all trying to figure this out. And, and we've continued to make new announcements and improvements as we went, in, including committing I don't even know what the amount is over, but something probably coming close now to, let's say, $250, $300 million in commitments to our associates, to Amazing. the communities, et cetera. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, final question for you. Uh, from a leadership standpoint, you know, you enter a new job, you have hundreds to thousands of employees underneath you. How have you been able to build relationships virtually right now as you get integrated into the company? What do you think is most important from a <laughs> standpoint? Well, I mean, needless to say, I've had to really, really think about that because this is, of course, for all of us, totally unexpected as a new executive. Of course, harder when you don't have the deep, long, pre-existing relationships that you've had a chance to cultivate in a room together, over dinner together, you know, the the all the little moments and gestures that maybe do get a little lost on a Zoom or Teams. But, you know, I've tried to just say, hey, this is like another test of if, you know, we talk about being agile and flexible leaders. And, and I, I've just tried to say, this is a test of creative leadership. And, um, you know, I don't know that everyone in my peer group is, is comfortable with technology, but, you know, maybe that's a benefit of yeah, but that's when I knew you in our earliest days, Rachel, being, you know, a, a digital marketer, you know, back then is 
I mean, I just feel like you make it work for you. And so, you know, I have this big department and I know I haven't met, you know, a fair number of those people in my department, but I do like a Friday Zoom department meeting. And you know what? I don't think this department was having weekly meetings before this. And, and we used the chat feature and I made it an AMA, but then someone said, oh, instead of it being an ask me anything, it's an ask Marissa anything. So, you know, in some ways, I'd like to think that maybe it accelerated a level of intimacy, you know, just how we all see each other in each other's homes right now. Um, I would say with without hesitation that there are some people on my team, the ones I work most closely with, I feel it actually has done that. It's almost been a weird accelerant of mm of the relationships. In other cases, I'm not going to lie, it's been more challenging. I mean, we have a headquarters as an essential retailer where some executives still go in the office. I mean, they're practicing reasonable social distancing, but sometimes they're in a large conference room together and I'm the one on the phone. Then it's harder. Yeah. It's harder. So um, you just do what you can to, I think, just driving the work and seeing the results is something that um, at the end of the day has been hopefully confidence building and also in some ways relationship building. Well, I thank you for your time. I selfishly can't wait to have you back on the East Coast and to <laughs> hug you. Um, I'll miss California though. <laughs> it is pretty amazing. But uh, thank you again. My so I pleasure. You guys create amazing panels, which is typical of all the amazingness you do. So thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you, Marissa. So, Anda, are we moving to Beth Ann from Geometry? Yeah, let's do that. Let's move to Beth Ann, who is also one of our favorite people. Yes, Hi. Beth Ann. Well, the feeling is mutual, and I was just looking at the time. So, if you guys want to do myself and Margaret together, since we're both coming from a professional services standpoint, we're happy. I'm happy to improv that way if, if she is. So we asked, sure. we asked Margaret, Margaret to um, actually do a quick summary of what everyone else okay. is saying at the end. And I'm going to ask her a couple of questions, but she's also going to jump in and just tell us, I guess, a combination between what she heard from everyone, but then also read in what she's seeing from her perspective working at Siegel and Gale. So thank you for the idea, though. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, so Bethann, uh, as you acknowledge, like you are CEO of a global agency with a major focus on shopper. Uh, as an agency, have you guys taken a stance in a public way when it comes to COVID? <clears throat> well, obviously our stance reflects what we would, we would recommend to our clients. So mm -hmm. we always keep kind of that professional services ethos at heart, um, but we bring our own research, our own insights and data, our own instinct to the table when we think about how do we advise through this. And so our overall stance has been trying to think about, and you talked about this earlier on the, like the positivity in all of this, like not to be the bearers of more bad news um, or fear mongering. If there's scientific data that some of our clients are coming out with that is important for people to hear, we want to help them tell the story and get it out there to the public in the right way. Um, we want to help in a very open agnostic and objective way too. a lot of the different companies that are involved in different ways and different factors. So overarching, yes, we basically felt like we could not not communicate during this time. We felt like it was really important as we've all talked about during this session for the brands to have a voice. Um, oftentimes they are at the heart of being able to solve for things and they, they have a view on these issues that even governments don't have always. So we realized very early on that it was going to be a very important role for brands, 
in this and corporations in this. And so we looked at it from both those two angles. Like when is it right for products and brands to be solving and bringing value? And when do we wanna make sure that we're kicking it up to an umbrella corporate level and making um, either the CEOs, spokespeople, the CMOs, and giving them um, an important role to play in all of this with, again, the right authenticity and the right um, genuineness for their companies. Hmm. Um, so, you know, geometry is within WPP. You guys are working across some of the biggest brands in the world. Are there key trends that you've seen in your clients' behavior over the last few weeks? Well, I think it mirrors and reflects what we are all experiencing, right? And I think everyone's talked about this. There's sort of been this phases of COVID already. And I think, you know, Jay Walker Smith, who's from Kantar, made a really interesting point early on which is we all wanna say this is brand new, it's unprecedented, we don't recognize this. But the reality is, is we do recognize this. Hmm. We have lived through crisis before. We have lived through massive disruptions before. So the best thing that you can do for yourself in some ways is say, okay, wait a minute. There are some things here that are going to be similar, that are gonna follow a similar course. Even the grief phases that you can apply to how we help navigate this and how we have a different kind of um, global sensitivity to the different personas and the different sensitivities that people are gonna be going through and just trying to strike the right, you know, beat in the right messaging with the right tone and moment um, for, for a very both mass audience, but also trying to get, as everyone's talked about too, in the most personalized, more one-to-one segmented way possible as well, recognizing that everybody is going to be feeling and confronting things at a different time. And especially if you're a company that is operating on global scale, People are at um, you know, many different magnificent variations of how they're experiencing this right now. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about the global scale that you have. Uh, you know, Asia was essentially two to three months, depending on where you were, ahead of the U.S. Are there consumer behaviors that you guys saw in Asia that are now being reflected in the U.S.? Like, do you have that sort of telescope and you can help us know what's to come based on what you saw? Uh, Well, it's a good question. There are still so many differences in as well. You know this from a commerce perspective in terms of already what Asians were doing. And um, specifically, if you think about the Alibaba platform and what those behaviors have um, adopted, the level of adoption around some of those newer behaviors in that market versus the U.S., um, the first thing was their, the protocols in physical retail. And it was interesting about this is we have witnessed this massive digital first, e-commerce first, and all of the different ways that we're creating delivery around that system that creates contactless and you know, cashless and, and all of the things that we knew were coming, but now coming faster. But the physical environment still matters. Like people have not to physical locations, whether that be pharmacies, whether that be liquor stores, for regular grocery stores and especially local grocery stores. We saw that in Asia too. We saw that um, with the right protocols in place and moving very quickly to reassure and create trust with consumers and create a new environment that they were able to actually see and feel really confident and comfortable in, that you were really able to invite people back into a physical environment. I think that has been something that's um, really interesting to have witnessed. And I think we're going to continue to see the physical environment step up and change in new ways, reflecting the needs that have to be um, now part of this new sort of, whether it's new normal or the future, the new day, as the um, teams were talking about. And in terms of uh, like customer behavior, you're doing a lot of research. Can you share some of the insights that you're seeing in people's buying behaviors, 
their relationships to brands? Well, I think one of the most interesting ones, um, I always get interested in just the time frames. Like when are people buying and when are the spikes of buying, especially when you start to look online. And um, we are seeing a lot of sleeplessness. <laughs> so you already saw that um, for you know, new moms or moms-to-be in the baby category. But now we see across the population, we see so many people who have either been wa- binge watching on Hulu or Netflix, and then they um, either maybe saw an ad served up or they're thinking about um, their fear starts to creep in before they go to bed. And so you see a lot of people who are purchasing at very early morning hours. Um, mm. So not 100% surprising, but that is something that we've seen increasing and increasing as the weeks have gone on. So there is definitely a lot of um, anxiety, I think, that is still gripping people. And we have to sort of acknowledge and, and admit that even as you get more in control maybe of your day-to-day at night when you're trying to sort of come down and unwind. Um, and then you're, to your point, like the kind of shopping that starts to take place there has also started to run the gamut. So it, in the beginning, it was what we were talking about, the products that were about essentials, necessity. How am I reevaluating and rethinking of my life during this time? What do I need in terms of comfortable clothes, hair products, you know, mm-hmm. all of the things that we've seen um, almost force a supply chain issue. Um, mm-hmm. And then it has now turned into a little bit more of the kind of more retail, um, you know, like satisfying of my you know different kinds of desires and getting into some of the things that we wouldn't normally have thought of it's um you know your normal day-to-day of getting into a power back into apparel and getting into the things that oh i i do fantasize about wearing that dress out in public sometime soon mm-hmm. you see people start buying makeup and, and and shoes a little bit more over the end of this past week and um, you know historically for marketing and commerce this would be right around the time where you would start writing your holiday briefs. Q4, huge moment for shopping and commerce. You're inside geometry right now. Like, are people going to plan for Christmas? Like, what is going to happen to that moment in 2020? Well, you know, I, I'll, I'll steal from John Krasinski, or I'll get inspired by him in terms of some good news. And I think that, you know, again, there's a role for brands and companies to play in this. And I do think it is one of positivity as well and optimism. And I think it has to not disregard and be tone deaf to the myriad of things that people might be experienced during that time. But you also have to help fill a value and a need. And one of those things that are just is a human need is in connecting even when you're isolated. It is in Um, having something to look forward to in small surprises, in um, opening up boxes. You know, so there are so many ways we can tell stories and we can uh, hit a chord with consumers that or strike a chord that feels really right for the authenticity and the equities of a brand and where those brands bring value to the consumer. So um, I I think that, you know, you have to kind of scenario plan Mm -hmm. and um, you have to really test, I think, right now too, like, you know, test your own instinct to some degree, because Mm -hmm. it it is is the worst when you kind of either do what everyone else is doing. And we saw now that montage of work where it was like exactly the same message, the same music background, the same, um, you know, background images, you know. You, you still have to find what find your own way and be unique and offer value at the same time for consumers. But there's going to be Christmas and there's going to be amazing stories throughout all of this for us to highlight and to tell. And we need to be there for each other more than ever before. 
well, thank you, Bethann. I appreciate it. Uh, and thank you for being a leader that Anda and I both can turn to. Well, gosh, thank you both for being there for me as well and continuing to inspire the entrepreneurial spirit that I get to bring to WPP and to geometry. You, go, you both are such badasses. You know I love you. Oh, that's so sweet. Anda, I think we're reaching the finale. Yes, so I wanted to ask Margaret. Welcome, first of all, Margaret. I'm so happy that you joined us. We asked you to do the hard task of trying to summarize all that great content into um, a few views at the end. And I wanted you to do this because I know that you see across so many different brands um, and you've been doing this for quite a while. And so I would love for you to weave in some of your own insights that you're seeing, um, really what you've seen in the last few weeks in particular with some of the things you heard. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Anda, and thank you, Rachel, for the opportunity. And as we began this conversation, I was intrigued by your debate around the properties of COVID-19 and the virus. So that gave me a cue to think about what are the properties of COVID-19 as it pertains to us, business people and marketing. So I've, in this last couple of hours, identified three properties. The first one is COVID-19 is the great illuminator. It is showing a light on leadership like never before. And how brands and how leaders respond to COVID-19 will be a defining attribute of their leadership. As we heard in the panels, leadership and the decisions these leaders are making are characterized by tremendous tension. Employee safety, maintaining the store open, performance marketing, brand building, long-term security and community building. And I applaud these brand leaders in how they are embracing these decisions with creativity and courage. It strikes me that through their storytelling, they will be harpingers of hope. COVID-19 as an illuminator is also teaching us a lot about brand purpose. We are seeing from the CMOs here that the brands that truly have a real purpose that inspires their employees, motivates their behaviors, anchors their, their culture, those are the brands that are responding to the crisis in a way that's not just surviving, but that is actually brand building as well. Second property, COVID-19 is the great accelerator. COVID-19 is accelerating trends that had already begun. Direct-to-consumer, digital commerce, um, telemedicine, content creation in all its facets. It's also accelerating the focus on employees. And this is a trend that began a couple of years back as we noticed a tightening in the labor market, particularly in the US. Here in the context of COVID-19, we are seeing marketers collaborating with HR, thinking about employee welfare and acknowledging that employee behaviors are actually at the heart of culture. It's also accelerating the idea that brands are more than words and pictures, Although our visual identity and our verbal identity is very important, brands today are about experiences. And successful brands are measured by each experience, each touch point every constituent has with the company. 
COVID-19 is also the great complexifier. People, our employees, all of us, our customers, we are dislocated, we are feeling anxiety, we're trying to make decisions absent complete information. COVID-19 is putting a cognitive tax on all of us. And it is incumbent on brands to think about how they can remove the cognitive effort required by people to come to work and to do business with the company. Conversely, COVID-19 is lifting the veil on the importance of simplicity. Brands that recognize that being easy to do business with are absolutely gaining reward. And what's intriguing in listening to the conversation this afternoon is the expansive interpretation of simplicity. In the past, pre-COVID, people thought of simplicity as merely clarity or maybe reductive. But it's clear to me from listening to the CMOs here this afternoon that they understand simplicity is about clarity. It's about transparency. It's about honesty. It's about ease of understanding. It's about relevance. And most of all, it's about being useful. The genius of the simplifiers that we heard today is their ability to strip away the extraneous, to know what matters to their employees, to their brands, and to their customers. I am tremendously inspired by the colleagues and tremendously appreciative of the opportunity to extemporaneously attempt to attribute properties to COVID-19 that apply to us as marketeers. That was wonderful, Margaret. And I don't know if you're reading the Q&A section, but we're getting uh, whoa, whoa, whoa with 50 million uh, exclamation marks just saying how inspiring you are um, and I think you did such a phenomenal job of summarizing um, and, and really trying to pull the biggest insights of what we heard today so thank you so much for that um, the only other thing I'll mention that I heard was the importance of making sure that your teams are staying motivated that they're staying uh, collaborative and that you come up with really good ideas to help them connect not just around their day-to-day -day work but also around the work that inspires them um, making them feel a little bit more human throughout this process because it's a uh, it's a crisis that I think is making us all question a little bit what that means um, so on that note I wanted to end today with um, just a message of hope and positivity. Um, I'm looking forward to meeting everyone here next week as well. It's going to be another great session. And I hope you all have a great end to the week. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to this Notch and McMeck Roundtable. We hope you enjoyed the episode and are staying safe and healthy. If you would like to learn more, please visit us at notch.com slash COVID. And if you have any suggestions for future guests or topics, please let us know by emailing onda at prosandcontent.co. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.